Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast powered by the Oklahoman. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here as always, joined by fellow OU beat writer Joe Masato. The Sooners Extra Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your cravings. Stop in today or visit zaxby's.com. And, uh, Joe, a lot of people uh, today at lunch, maybe sitting down with a plate of Zaxby's uh, chicken tenders, we're, nice job. We're, we're able to, hey, we're, we're all about promotion here and tying everything together. Sitting down with some, uh, some good, great Zaxby's uh, chicken tenders uh, or a chicken sandwich. And uh, listening to the release of the Oklahoma depth chart. We have a depth chart. There was some back and forth uh, between uh, Dana Holgerson and, and Lincoln Riley earlier this week about uh, the release of this depth chart. But we have it now. What was the number one thing that stood out to you about the the uh, depth chart released by Lincoln Riley on uh, Thursday? I thought there was a lot of fascinating things on the defensive side. Offensive side, not as surprising. Um, you know, I, I look at the Will linebacker spot. You have Deshaun White or Ryan Jones. I think Deshaun. Okay, White. Well, well, hold up. Let's let's take a timeout. Okay. We're, let's. I'm going to make a rule, and this is one that's imposed on the print side by Ryan Sharp. We're not going to say Mike or Will uh, here. It's middle or weak side. The, the, <laughs> weak the side. whole Mike and Will thing is is ridiculous. I know people know what they mean, but I'm, I'm simply reading from the depth chart. But we will say weak side. So weak side linebacker. Um, <laughs> you know, Deshaun White has just gotten you know so much buzz even from last year and to this year. But I guess in fairness, Ryan Jones has too. Um, so maybe it's not a huge surprise. And then my other thing, and, and this is more of a, I, I don't know, just a labeling issue, um, but, you know, OU's defense, right right now as it listed, it, it's basically a three-man front, defensive tackle, nose guard, defensive end. Jalen Redmond's listed as a defensive tackle, but that's not <laughs> at all how we think of him. Um, but he's uh, he's at that spot with Leron Stokes, so... Um, I'm I'm more interested in the front seven than anything. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I think the fact that Ryan Jones is there, right there with Deshaun White at that weak side spot, I think says more about Ryan Jones than Deshaun White. We've yeah. heard the raving reviews about Deshaun White. I think that that sort of maybe translates those onto Ryan Jones as well, and that they feel uh, pretty comfortable about some depth that they build up there to have Ryan Jones as that guy. Jones is a guy who got uh, playing time last year, had uh, had a couple starts uh, there, got shuffled around and uh, wound up not seeing a lot of him. But uh, that, that really stood out there. I don't think there's a ton of surprise at the backups behind Kenneth Murray that Brian Mead and Levi Draper would be an or situation there at the, the middle spot. But then, uh, then at that rush end, a rush linebacker spot. It's a little bit different verbiage with Alex Grinch now, but uh, to have John Michael Terry, I think a lot of us expected him to at least start the season at number one there. But to see uh, Nick Benito, the the redshirt freshman, and, and David Ogwegbu, who might be have the best uh, best name on the team, certainly uh, right up there with Dylan Faamatau, um, that. Uh, that was an interesting lineup to have those three with Jalen Redmond listed officially at least as a defensive tackle because there had been some talk about maybe he was with the linebackers and would uh, fit in to that rush spot. But I think there's little doubt that 
we're going to see Ronnie Perkins and Jalen Redmond on the field together a lot because I think that those are clearly two of their best uh, pass rushing type of uh, edge guys. Yeah, I, I think this rush in spot is really interesting because just that, you know, not having gone over it all that much, but that might be the least experienced position group maybe on the team or at least on defense. I mean, John Michael Terry was basically a special teams player last year. Nick Bonito redshirted, and Ogwebu is a true freshman. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the only – honestly, the only one looking at the depth chart that would really uh, challenge it is that Z receiver spot yeah. with, where Charleston Rambo – is listed we'll jump over the offense here in a second but charleston rambo the redshirt sophomore came on uh, strong at the end of the season he's listed there as an or with Jaden hazelwood and trajan bridges to uh two true freshmen but uh yeah certainly on the defensive side that rush in spot is is the most inexperienced which to me makes it one of the most intriguing to see if john michael terry one starts on saturday and two if he holds on to that because you can see those young players, guys like Benito and, and Ugwegbu, and we've seen that spot in the, the previous defense be one where you can have a player with not a whole lot of experience come up and have some success. One guy we've seen in that spot, um, maybe a little bit different scheme, but it's Mark Jackson. What do you make of him not being on the list? And also, is that an injury situation? And is Kenneth Mann an injury situation? Well, I think Kenneth Mann is more of an injury situation, although I wasn't surprised by either of those guys being left off the list. And I mean, we just haven't heard anything about either of those guys other than Kenneth Mann being banged up a little bit. But this is a guy who was a captain a year ago. Yeah. And, you know, sort of if anybody was uh, – I'm uh, trying to say – I don't want to say he was hurt by the firing of Mike Stoops. Um, but if anybody was affected in a negative way as far as what they did on the field – uh, by the changeover that happened at the middle of last season, it was Mark Jackson as much as anybody. I mean, we saw him. He was a starter until that uh, OU Texas uh, debacle uh, on, on that side of the ball and then really completely fell off the face of the earth. So uh, wasn't completely surprised by those two guys because I don't think that they fit quite in with what Alex Grinch likes to do defensively but uh it'll be interesting to see if either of them is able to carve out a role uh, on, on this defense because it appears like it's going to be tough given you know where those guys generally play and what Alex Grinch is looking for yeah I, I think that's a good point as far as the shift and and who was maybe hurt by the change because you just look up and down this defense there's a lot of underclassmen on it even on the backside, you've got, you know, Brendan Riley-Hiles, who's expected to be on there, Pat Fields, Justin Broyles, Woody Washington, Delarian Turner-Yell, Miguel Edwards, Jaden Davis. All these are freshmen, sophomores, I mean, basically. Yeah, which I, I think speaks to maybe the improvement that we should see in this defense as the year goes on and as, you know, this year turns to next and, and so on and so forth, that they should be able to get better. Now, we've talked a lot this offseason about the secondary needs to develop players rather than just throw them in there and then they sort of wither, which has been the case in the past. But uh, let, let's talk about the secondary some, uh, Joe, since you brought it up. 
nickel there. I don't think there was a lot of surprise that uh, Radley Hiles, um, Buki was an or there with Chance Sylvie, but that's going to be something that when that defense breaks the huddle uh, to go out on the field after presumably after uh, you know either kickoff or or a punt or whatever we see even to start the game uh, on, on Sunday, one of the things that uh, I'm going to be watching for is whether 44 or 28, I'm talking about Radley Hiles or Chance Sylvie, uh, goes out on the field to begin with the game. Yeah, that's probably the most intriguing. The, these other ones in the secondary aren't as surprising. We knew Trey Brown and Parnell Motley would probably be the starting corners. Um, and at safety, Alex Grinch foreshadowed this a couple weeks ago with Delarian Turner Yell and Pat Fields being the guys. And then you've got um, Robert Barnes and Justin Broyles behind them at both positions, and those are both guys who have more experience than Well, well Broyles and Barnes are behind them at free safety. At strong safety, it's Barnes and Woody Washington. R- right, but, yeah, so yeah. so you've got some, some guys with experience that that's another case that they got passed over um, by two younger guys who, um, again, we've said this before, but Turner Yell and, and Pat Field zero combined starts between them, and they might have – Two combined starts after Sunday. Yeah, I I did think that maybe we might see uh, see Jordan Parker there at the other cornerback spot, but it looks like Parnell Motley uh, held him off there, and and Parker behind Trey Brown at one corner spot, and Jaden Davis and Miguel Edwards listed as co backups there behind Motley at the other one. Uh, the the other intriguing thing is Jeremiah Cradell, uh, a freshman. That uh, I think he was maybe a little bit less was certainly less ballyhooed than all the uh, the offensive guys, but you know even had heard started to hear his name in recent weeks. But uh, you know Woody Washington was the guy that we heard a lot about as a, a secondary guy. But it seems like Jeremiah Cordell, especially after the injury to Trey Norwood, has really uh, uh, f- stepped up and found a role uh, there, and looks like he could have a chance to play some. So uh, I've got a question for you. I know this isn't our question segment, but um, out of all the true freshmen listed on the the two or three deep, because there's a lot of oars, who do you expect to play more Sunday? Cradell, Ogwebu, Jaden Davis, Corey Roberson, or Marcus Stripling? Ooh, that's tough. You know, um, did you even mention Woody Washington? Yeah, Woody one, Washington. That's another. Guys. So is that five? I think maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with. Uh, gosh, that's tough. My first impression is to go with David Ogwegbu because to me he's really intriguing. He's the only guy on this defense so far that was brought in by Alex Grinch. Um, so I think there's some ownership there, and I, I think he fits in with what. OU wants to do at that spot eventually. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go with Marcus Stripling. I think we're going to see a lot of him. I think they're going to want to, you know, rotate guys out on that that defensive front and try some different things. So uh, I'm going to go with Stripling. What about you, Joe? Yeah, Stripling's my choice too. I think it it makes the most sense given the the frequency of which those defensive linemen get rotated up there and and he's a guy that we we have heard a lot about 63 257 I mean he's he's bigger than Ronnie Perkins I mean just <laughs> looking at the numbers so that's pretty impressive and uh does not fit the typical freshman mold 
Yeah, and that's something that they uh, certainly want. I'm really looking forward to also seeing LaRon Stokes play. Uh, he's a guy who's gotten a lot of buzz. Uh, you know, we talked about Redmond there at one defensive tackle spot or however you want to say it. They, they call it a defensive tackle spot officially, but uh, Stokes and Redmond listed as or there. Uh, really intrigued to see what LaRon Stokes can bring. He's a guy with a lot of upside, a guy who physically – uh, can can handle the spot, but he's a guy who's still pretty young football wise, because he you know was a, a homeschool kid. Uh, so I think he's got a lot of room to grow, sort of like we saw with Neville Gallimore over the first few years of his career here. Yeah, I mean it, Stokes is definitely one of the most intriguing guys. I think I think I'm most you know interested to watch that those those front three positions and see how they perform. Yeah, let's uh, move our attention over to the offensive side, Joe. Uh, talked about that Z position with Charleston Rambo, Jaden Hazelwood, Trajan Bridges. The receivers all were really uh, intriguing here going in. I don't think any just like fall down surprises, but still interesting to see that there. The Y slash tight end spot with Calgatera or Lee Morris, I, I don't think that that's a, a huge surprise just because of what Lee Morris has contributed to this team over the last few years. I would anticipate that there's going to be a fair amount of times when you're going to see both Calcaterra and Morris on the field and maybe not see an H, H guy, uh, as they're calling it now, uh, out there. Um, where the H right now is with Basquin, Jones, or Drake Stoops listed uh, as as three oars. Nick, Nick Basquin, Michael Jones, and Drake Stoops um, listed as three oars. I would think maybe that we'll see more of Calcaterra and Morris out there together. Yeah, I mean, you're basically just seeing 12 offensive positions, so I think those those guys at H might be playing a, a little less than some of the others, just considering the depth that they have at receiver, but my eyes went to that Z position. I mean, Rambo, sophomore, Jaden, and then Jaden Hazelwood and Trajan Bridges, two freshmen. I mean, that is like the it's like the high upside <laughs> position to to see who emerges there. Yeah, and I'm a guy who's raved about Charleston Rambo since he arrived on campus last year. The guy I was raving on that we hadn't seen much of was Kennedy Brooks. Turned out uh, that one turned out pretty well. I missed on some in the past before. I mean, I, I thought that uh, trying to think, uh, well, I thought Deron Neal would have just a fantastic career. He had a pretty good career, but not certainly what it, uh, you know, what I thought it would have been uh, coming out. So when I when I say I've, you know, called it on Kennedy Brooks, it's not like I'm batting a thousand there. But uh, yeah, that that was interesting. Um, Jeremiah Hall or Braden Willis at the H-back spot. I don't think that was a shock at all. Um, same thing at running back, Trey Sermon or Kennedy Brooks. I'd anticipate Sermon to make the most starts this year if you had to you know, put a true serum in me. But uh, certainly those guys are going to be 1 and, and 1A there. Uh, offensive line, though, had some intrigue, Joe, First of all, look at the backup center spot, which there was some question over who that would be. And I, I still don't know that if Creed Humphrey gets hurt, you know, what they would do. My guess is they would move somebody like Tyrese Robinson uh, over 
to to that spot from a from a guard spot and then elevate somebody else. But uh, Ian McIver as a, a walk on to be the backup center, I think that that was interesting. And then uh, Bray Walker as the backup uh, right guard, R.J. Proctor as the backup left guard behind uh, uh, Tyrese Robinson for Walker and uh, Marcus Hayes for Proctor. I think that was uh, a, a little bit, uh, I don't want to say surprising, but uh, something uh, interesting to look at as well. Yeah, the, the offensive line is always interesting, especially when you lose four starters. So I don't think the starters were as surprising. I had no idea how they might how they might list the backup. So um, that was interesting to me, especially at center with McIver. Um, and, and then at tackle, I thought, you know, Finley Felix is a, is a JUCO guy that comes in, is listed as the backup at both tackle spots. Yeah, and, and that's another, uh, I don't know, is is that the best name on the defensive side? And is it Felix or Felix? Maybe it's Felix. I, I, I don't mean, know. I, I could be wrong, but but Finley Felix has a, That's a nice better. Uh, ring to it. But we'll make sure and uh, get that pronunciation. We'll see the pronunciation guide that Mike Houck uh, has for us on, on Sunday night. But uh, real quick, Joe – Probably the other another thing that didn't get announced on the Facebook Live portion, but looking at the uh, depth chart that uh, is posted on Soonersports.com uh, right now, the kicker spot that I think all of us expected Gabe Burchich, Burkich to be uh, the number one guy, and it looks like uh, right now him and Calum Sutherland are uh, neck and neck for both the uh, kicker spot and the kickoff uh, specialist spot. We'll see if that winds up being uh, one guy does one, the other does the other, or if uh, one takes over both those roles. Yeah, you know, Jay Bolware hasn't been real, uh, you know, he hasn't really revealed who was going to have those starting spots. I I think Munchau was the only one we really knew at punter. Kicker, I I guess just because of his – Reputation coming out of high school, Burkich was thought to be that guy, but um, the walk-on, Caleb Sutherland's right, right in there. And I, I never know what to make of. Maybe I read too much into you know who's listed first on the or on the or. I, well, I, especially when it's not alphabetical yeah, it's not order. Like Sutherland's listed first, Sutherland or Burkich, which to me is interesting. But I just overthink things. Also, well, that's what we're supposed to do here, <laughs> right? Otherwise, this would be boring if we didn't overthink things. So. Uh, but that's a look at the Sooners depth chart. The other thing at long snapper, Grant Calcaterra is not the backup to Casey Kelleher. Clayton Woods beats <laughs> Grant Calcaterra for backup long snapper. Well, I'm, I'm sure Calcaterra <laughs> is crushed. But uh, And for those who don't know, Grant Calcaterra uh, did a little bit of work at long snapper over the offseason, and uh, Jay Bulware sort of joked about that a little bit. But uh, we're going to... Uh, wrap up the first segment of the Sooners Extra podcast. We're going to come back in a little bit, joined by a special guest. But uh, thank you so much for listening to the Sooners Extra podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, along with Joe Masato from the Oklahoma. And this is the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your craving. Stop in today or visit zaxby's.com. Once again, 
I'm Ryan Aber from the Oklahoma and uh, joined uh, for this segment by a special guest, Joseph Duarte of the uh, Houston Chronicle, covers Houston, does a great job down there. Uh, Joseph, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Ryan, for having me on. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's uh, finally game week. I know obviously people in Norman are, are fired up to see Jalen Hurts and fired up to see that Oklahoma defense debut under Alex Grinch, but I know people down in Houston are fired up to see the first game with Dana Holgerson as the head coach. What's it been like uh, to this point with, with Dana back around and, and leading the charge down there? You know, I wasn't around when Dana Holgerson was here the first time as a coordinator, but just getting to, to know him, you know, this is the, I believe it's now the, the fourth coach that they've had in the, you know, the last five or six years. And uh, it's night and day, obviously, from Major Applewhite to Dana Holgerson. He, Dana's got a little bit of the Tom Herman in him in terms of the, the way that both of them carry themselves, kind of outspoken. But, you know, Dana, in essence, though, you can't really compare him to anybody else because I don't know any more of the Red Bull, you know, holy <laughs> college football coaches. And he's, he's been just the way he's taken over the program. I think that's the biggest thing that fans have gravitated to him. They, he was a familiar face. He left a Power 5 job to come to Houston. And, you know, he's going to do things his way. And he's kind of put his stamp on it. And even though Houston's not a group of five school, uh, excuse me, that they're not a power five school, he conducts business like he is. So that's something that the fans have really enjoyed since he's been here. What was the feeling down there around the fans, around administration and, and just the entire program when Dana Holgerson decided to leave? Because I, I think a lot of people – from outside were surprised that he would leave a place like West Virginia inside the Power Five in the Big 12 Conference to go to a place like Houston until you look into, one, what Houston has done athletically really across the board over the last few years uh, when you talk about the success that the basketball program has had with Kelvin Sampson, baseball, and obviously uh, built up the football program. I know it hadn't been what they wanted it to be since Tom Herman left for Texas, but uh, – it seems like maybe it's less surprising the more you look into it. Well, you know, the, it's really been a five- and six-year plan that they've done here at Houston. Uh, a lot of it was set up for the Big 12 when they were looking to expand and going through the process of schools that they would consider. And, and Houston has put over, you know, I think now it's close to probably $300 million into facilities. And that's that's one of the lures because you, you look at, what, what you have to do these days in the college, you know, athletic arms race and facilities are at the top. You know, Kelvin Sampson has this great new basketball arena that they renovated. He has a, a development center. Then you look at Dana Holgerson. You know, they've got an indoor practice facility. They're going to start the process of an, of an operations building for football that is very much needed. And then they paid them $20 million. You know, that's the most money that any coach in the group of five is making. They gave him a considerable amount for his coaching pool. So everything they've done has been on that level that, you know, they, if you look at some of maybe the, the lower tiered schools and some of the other big uh, conferences, Houston's on par with them terms of what they're spending so you know for Dave to get Dana that was a big one you know he has a familiarity with the Board of Regents chairman Tillman Fertitta who's the, the owner of the Rockets they go back so it, they kind of identified that if they had a chance again this job was open or they had the opportunity to make a change Dana Olgerson was going to be the guy they wanted to go after and let's let's talk about this team and, and this season 
Obviously, the last time that uh, Oklahoma faced Houston was with Tom Herman a couple of years ago when, when the, the Cougars were a, a top 15 team, knocked off the Sooners down there at uh, NRG Stadium. But uh, this is a team in a little bit of transition on the defensive side. Let's start there. I think a lot of people, at least up here, have sort of, I don't know if written them off is the right word, but they're not too intimidated by what Houston has uh, defensively. But they, they brought in, a, obviously, a new defensive coordinator with the Dana Holgerson's uh, new staff there. Uh, the, the Oklahoma coaches talked a lot about studying what Arkansas State has done right. over the last uh, last couple of years. How, do, how are things shaping up on the defensive side of the ball for the Cougars uh, going into the opener? Well, it's a complete overhaul. And when you have the type of year that they had last year, defensively, there's, there's no other way to do it. Yeah, it wasn't going to just be solved by making a few tweets here and there. But what Dana Holgerson did, you know, he came in in January. The early signing period was over. They had a good number of the recruits already signed. So what he did was he did the next best thing that he could, and he filled those holes by going out on the transfer market. And I believe he signed 17 players overall. 14 of them were on the defensive side. So he really loaded up, and, you know, he prefers to get the guys that have two years or more left. Some of them, he just couldn't do that. Some of them are grad transfers that have one year, a lot of them got the waivers to play this year so you know ultimately he'll have a, a ucla transfer at corner he'll have a couple of juco signees either in the d-line or at linebacker you know he has a texas a&m guy that at some point they hope to have at, at, at in the secondary at safety or the nickel so they went out and they filled as quickly as they could joe Coffin, the the defense coordinator you mentioned from arkansas state came in and they're running a 4-2-5 defense uh he's his, his M.O. and his style is to get after the quarterback. He wants a physical attacking style, and that's kind of what they're going to do. But the question is, we don't know what, what, they, what they look like just because practices haven't been open and if they have the personnel to achieve it. But that's kind of the long-term goal that they see this defense, how they want to do it. I just think it's going to take a little time going into the season before we really see what this whole unit's going to look like. Well, we'll talk about the other side a little bit here in a little bit because I think they they mirror each other in a lot of ways. But it seems like what Oklahoma does offensively will be a good test for, for what Houston becomes on the defensive side of the ball and what they want to do on the defensive side of the ball. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the two points that, that Houston is really going to have to watch out for, their, their corners are so thin right now uh, because of the, the injury to the UCLA transfer, Colin Samuel. He's about a 6'2", 205 guy that they really thought they were going to be able to plug in, and he's got a knee injury, so that's left them with, you know, they're going to have two brand-new starters at the corner spots, and neither one of them has any experience or, or not much experience, and they're not exactly, in terms of size, big guys so that's one area and then just up front defensively on the line uh you know they they're gonna have two guys back one's coming off of an injury isaiah chambers played at tcu a few years ago and then a couple of juco guys so it you know there's a lot setting up those are two important areas and you know with the, the new personnel uh, those guys are probably going to get challenged early and often against oklahoma and let's look at the other side of the ball for for houston Obviously, so much talk, and I know you, you wrote about this, uh, I can't remember if it was earlier this week or, or late last week, 
the the matchup, the high school matchup between Derek King and in Manville High School, Manville High School versus uh, Jalen Hurts' Channel View team uh, a few years ago. Uh, certainly different roles coming into this game, but I think most of the focus, a lot of the focus, is on those two quarterbacks uh, coming into Sunday night. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I don't quite remember. I was doing other things when, when both of these guys were in high school here in the Houston area, but they you know, they were both tremendous talent. You know, at the time of the game, which was very lopsided in Derek's favor, Jalen was going to Alabama. Derek was actually a TCU commitment. But both of them were, were big-time you know, national recruits uh, coming out of the, you know, the senior years, and, and they were fun to watch both of them uh, uh, coaches' kids. So you know kind of what you're going to get. But they, you know, they downplayed it. You guys saw the Jalen Hurts over there, and he's like, look, I remember that game. And, you know, me and Derek were cool. And Derek kind of laughed and said, I remember that game. And he probably should remember it a lot more than, than Jalen. <laughs> In terms of throwing for the five touchdowns and stuff, but overall, uh, really just kind of the the mirror images in terms of how they both you know either physically look or you know their ability to run, you know their size, uh, you know just kind of all of that put together. Just kind of just you you look at the offenses and stuff. It, it really is going to be interesting to watch these. It's going to be fun to watch them because uh, with the ball in their hands, there's no telling you know what they can do. Yeah, one one of the things that uh, I can't remember if it was Lincoln Riley or Alex Grinch talked about earlier this week is King's scrambling ability, which obviously uh, it has a lot of athleticism and, and is able to be effective there, but his ability to scramble to throw rather than just scramble uh, to run and, and sort of tuck the ball at the first sign of uh, distress – how have you seen that sort of evolve in him uh, since he took over that quarterback spot? Right. And, you know, the last one we that, that these two teams met, Greg Ward was the quarterback for Houston. And he was the scramble, you know, elusive try to, to make things happen, but didn't throw the ball as much. It's kind of when, when he took off, it was run, run, run. With Derek, as we've seen him develop over the last year and a half, I mean, he's very comfortable throwing the ball. I think his own is very underrated uh, part of what he does. And he, you know, Daniels kind of emphasized that, look, you know, you had 50 touchdowns last year. We're not looking for you to go out every game and score five rushing touchdowns or do all that. You know, involve your playmakers, get them, uh, you know, get them going. He's got three great receivers to throw to, a couple of really good backs. Uh, if you need to run, do it. But the interesting thing, they showed him video this offseason of Kyler Murray uh, and how he protected himself, how he get out of bounds and slide. Because they didn't want Derek King to take those hits. Because if he gets hurt, we saw what happened to Houston without him last year. Things really fell apart, and you know they want to keep him as fresh as possible. But he's really come a long way. But it's also fun to see him put those juke moves on guys. There's a, a South Florida defender still out there that's looking for his shoes because <laughs> he got put in the spin cycle last year. Yeah, I think that that's going to be a, a really interesting challenge for Alex Grinch's defense, uh, the way that they're able to work to try to, to contain uh, De'Aaron King. I think it's going to be difficult, and I, but I think this is a really good matchup for both these defenses just because of that, because you're going to see them stressed in ways that they might not be stressed uh, for, for the rest of the season, especially with uh, what these two quarterbacks bring uh Joseph, I want to ask you uh, about something you wrote. I believe it was in uh, Thursday's Houston Chronicle. Uh, I know our Joe Masato uh, wrote about this a year ago, but uh, the, looking back at 
the 2016 Houston coaching search and the fact that Lincoln Riley was so uh, was right in the middle of that after uh, Tom Herman leaves for Texas. Uh, Lincoln Riley interviewed for that job and uh, ultimately wound up staying at Oklahoma. It's worked out great for the Sooners. We'll see how it works out uh, for Houston after they uh, replaced uh, Major Applewhite eventually with with Dana Holgerson. But uh, what'd you learn about that coaching search? Uh, looking back at it, well, you know, the, the at the time that it was happening, there were a good handful of of coaches that were being considered. Lincoln, you know, Les Miles, the two in-house candidates, Major Applewhite and Todd Orlando, who's now the defensive coordinator at Texas. You had Lane Kiffin, and it for a brief like nanosecond, Art Riles' name came up, and that was shot <laughs> down really fast. As the process went on, you know, it was like any other process. You didn't get a lot of information at the time how interviews went. I remember after Lincoln interviewed, there were some reports that he had knocked it out of the park in terms of how he was. And then that was just, you know, kind of confirmed. You know, through the years, as people uh, distance themselves from it, they, they tend to talk a little bit more about it. And Houston's former athletic director this week, Hunter Yurchek, he's at Arkansas, kind of rehashed some of it and said, look, this was a guy from the get-go we identified wanted to talk to him and even though lincoln was sick that day that he interviewed they were just blown away at his level of preparedness how you know he answered every question didn't have any kind of note sheets i mean he went in there and just aced that exam and they really thought no look we'd like to talk to you again but behind the scenes you know that crafty joke is big leone uh who <laughs> you know you know we know him from way back when he was here in the houston area uh he made sure that, you know, this was an up-and-coming guy, and, and whether Bob at that time had made a decision or they maybe had an inkling or just wanted to lock up uh, Lincoln and then, you know, address his future later on, they were going to keep him. So Lincoln politely tells the Houston folks, look, I want to I want to stay out of, in, in, in Oklahoma. I want to withdraw my name. And, and Houston had to move on. But it was, it was one of those things. It, it never came close to happening. Would it have been interesting had it? Can you imagine – if, you know, three years later, Lincoln Riley is on this sideline for Houston. No, you know, no, it, it was never going to do that. But it really set things in motion for Houston. They ended up going kind of with the safe pick and, and going with Major Applewhite. And that turned out to be a complete disaster. Dana's name actually came up in 2016. He used that sort of as leverage to kind of get a raise out of West Virginia. But as that relationship soured with the administration there, uh, back and forth. He was the guy that you knew if it was another opportunity, he'd, he'd get another shot. And, and lo and behold, they, they did, and he ended up uh, ended up at Houston just a couple years later than everybody expected. Yeah, and I think uh, Sooners fans are, are really happy that Lincoln <laughs> Riley wound up deciding not to go to Houston or, or didn't go farther down the road in that process. But uh, let's take one quick step back. To, to Sunday night, Joseph, before we wrap this up. Um, how do you see this game playing out? I don't know if you've made a score prediction yet uh, for, for the Houston Chronicle. If you have one, you can throw that out. But how do you see uh, Sunday night playing out uh, down in Norman? I think if I, I followed it, I think if I'm correct, I think I went something like 42-28, or at least two touchdowns in, in Oklahoma's favor. And I, I just, you know, this is not the – Houston defense of 2016. There's no Ed Oliver that's going to come out of the locker room with or without a jacket on that they can take off of him on the sideline. <laughs> uh, but it's just they've got too many holes. I think offensively they're going to put up some points and maybe for a brief moment in the first quarter 
it may be a close game, but I think ultimately on the road and you're still working out a bunch of kinks and a lot of uh, new personnel. I just Houston, just from a defensive standpoint, I don't think it's going to be able to keep this thing from getting out of hand. So, you know, I you know if, whether it's 45, 30, 42, 28, somewhere around there, I just think that Oklahoma in the end just has too much, especially on offense with between CD Lamb and the two backs and Jalen Hurts and, you know, not even getting into uh, your, your tight end situation with the two or three that you have there. So it, it, it could be a long night. I think the best thing for Houston to come out of this is with no major injuries and at least some type of moral win uh, by keeping it semi-close. Yeah, I think that's uh, along the lines of, of how all of us uh, really see this playing out, but we'll see what, what happens. Uh, Joseph, I want you to let our uh, listeners know where they can find you on, on social media and how they can uh, read your work. Well, I'm on social media, Twitter at Joseph underscore Duarte. That's D-U-L-R-T-E. HoustonChronicle.com. Uh, we have a premium site called Texas Sports Nation. I know it's just this week for OU fans, but I think you can get a, a free couple of days to catch up on uh, the stuff uh, for this game. But uh, thanks for having me on, Ryan. And uh, I'm looking forward to one of those uh, porn donuts that I keep seeing on Twitter that you guys are posting. <laughs> they they are massive, and and they're good. I, I love Hertz Donuts. And uh, the the horns down one certainly is going to be a, a very popular option at uh, at Owen Field this year. But uh, Joseph, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us. I would encourage all of our readers to, to or listeners to check out uh, his work there uh, on the Houston Chronicle. And uh, we're going to wrap up uh, this segment of the Sooners Extra Podcast brought to you by Zaxby's. Uh, don't forget to shoot us a review at the Apple Store and the Google Podcast app. We really appreciate that. Thanks for tuning in each week. This is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your craving, stop in today, or visit zaxby's.com. And uh, once again, thank you so much to Joseph Duarte from the Houston Chronicle. Please go and read his stuff. Check out his Twitter feed. does a great job of covering the Cougars uh, down there in Houston. But uh, Joe Masato is back with us, and we're here for the mailbag segment. We're also going to talk about some predictions here as we get ready for Sunday's game, once again, 6.30 p.m. on ABC, Oklahoma versus Houston. And, and Joe, uh, got a couple uh, mailbag questions to in- answer today. First one from uh, CBR Sooner uh, asks, which Sooner running back on the roster do you expect to be the highest regarded by the end of their careers? Oof. Um... I'm going to go with Kennedy Brooks. Um, just the the numbers he put up last year um, as a freshman, I think he just got a little bit of a head start. Now just going into a sophomore season and having done what he did, especially those yards per carry marks were just enormous. And maybe it's a product of the offense or the offensive line that he was behind because um, he's not the most flashy guy. Remember last year, this is somebody who Lincoln Riley, I think, described as like, 
running like a Labrador, r- Labrador running in the park <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, running his dog in a park. Yeah, I think is so he's smooth. He's not like his measurements aren't off the charts, but his stats are kind of incredible. You know, I was gonna go uh, just out of left field and and say like Marcus Major, but, but do it. It's way more well, fun. Uh, here, here's why I'm not going to. Because the guys that are around him right now, I think it's going to be really tough for Major. You know, you know what? Forget it. I'm Marcus do Major. It. Marcus Major. I've talked myself back into it. I think Marcus Major is. Here, here's uh, a couple of the reasons. One, physically, you talk to people and they just rave about this guy. They, they talk about that he looks like uh, Trey Sermon looks now, uh, and he's a freshman right out of high school. So I think it's going to be really hard for Marcus Major to find carries on this team, barring injury, because uh, Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks are going to get the bulk of the carries uh, on on this year's edition of the Sooners. But I think Marcus Major, if everything works out, he can be a big-time top option for them, not only next year, but for the next couple years after that. And I think he's got a chance to be a really, really special player um, I would say that let's not sleep on Trey Sermon. I say that every podcast. You just disrespected Trey Sermon <laughs> in ways that I never thought were possible. <laughs> but, you know, Trey Sermon has been a big part of so many wins, and I think he's going to be a big part of, of uh, quite a few this year. But I'm going to say uh, I'm going to stick out on my limb and say that Marcus Major winds up being – but I think this has got a chance to be a really, really well-regarded group of running backs when you talk about from top to bottom with Sermon, with uh, Kennedy Brooks, with Marcus Major, who I, I don't know is going to play that big of a role this year. My guess is that he's likely to be redshirted based yeah. on the depth. But I think he's looking at that four-game mark, though, maybe. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they want to manage I, workload back there. He could play... In, in four games, and that's that's probably what I expect out of him. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing uh, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, what what he's got uh, to, to show, and then obviously T.J. Pledger, I think, is going to uh, have his role expanded a little bit from what it was last year. But I'm going to go with Marcus Major. Joe went with Kennedy Brooks. Uh, that's a, a certainly a, a, a fair guess uh, there. Um, let's see, uh, another question Joe, that we had, we talked about this a little bit in the first segment. Uh, Terry Jones asked, what's your level of concern for the kicking game with nobody with experience set to take over? And I think maybe that level of concern is bumped up just a bit uh, in light of what we saw with the depth chart. Yeah, it's a concern. As to the level of concern, I'm not really sure. I mean, I've, I've admittedly do not know how Caleb Sutherland or Gabe Burkich are, are going to perform, but that one hasn't separated himself from the other is a concern. So I will go relatively high, and you're just, you know, that's a – college kickers is a, a phrase and known because they're college kickers, and sometimes crazy stuff happens. OU has been relatively immune to that because they had such a stable guy back there for four years. But this could – But before that, it was – Yeah, I mean, it's it was – Uncertainty again. Yeah. Yeah, so sorry. Got my breath caught up for a second. But, yeah, I I think there's some concern. Until you see a kicker 
put in a big-time pressure situation. The, the problem with that is you're only going to see one or two of those a year. So you never know when it's going to come up. And, you know, heck, it might be not until a bowl game until we see – that big-time pressure situation from a kicker, and then until you see a, a kicker in that situation, you never really know how they're going to handle it. So to me, the fact that neither of those guys, uh, Burkich or Sutherland, has uh, stood out and really grabbed the reins of that is maybe a touch concerning. It should be noted that Gabe Burkich is one for one in his career on PATs. <laughs> He right, did kick so. against Florida Atlantic, so, <laughs> so everyone calm your nerves. Joe's fears are completely <laughs> allayed, and uh, he's he's absolutely fine with the kicking situation. <laughs> That's right. That's what we've uh, He proved himself. Right? <laughs> All right, so Joe is sold on uh, Gabe Burkich. And I'm – God, that's a tough name to pronounce. Joe, let's talk about the game uh, on Sunday a little bit, though, and – Score predictions. We touched on it a little bit with Joseph uh, the last uh, segment, but what do you got happening uh, on Sunday night and why? I picked 55-38 Oklahoma. Um, You know, to me it's just not a mystery how this game is going to play out. I mean, I expect Oklahoma to, to win and be about, you know, 20 points better than Houston, maybe two touchdowns. I just think it's going to take a little while for this Oklahoma defense um, to sort of take to what Alex Grinch is doing, and I'm not sure it's going to happen in year one. Um, and, and Houston is no joke on offense. They're a team that would fit in very well in the Big 12 with the style that they play. Uh, but just kind of the having the home crowd behind them Sunday night, the atmosphere, Jalen Hurts' debut, I, I think it all sets up for an OU win. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, I had Houston scoring a little bit less, uh, OU scoring a, a very little bit less. Uh, 52-24 was my prediction. I, I think OU's offense is just going to be a little bit too high-powered for Houston to deal with. Ed Oliver isn't walking through that door. And, and I think that uh, Dana Holgerson's offense, while De'Eric King is really good, and I think we're going to see a lot of big-time plays out of him, I don't think – that the depth right now is there to compete with OU, and I, th- I think we're going to see some positive signs out of Alex Grinch's defense, but it's going to take a while before we get a really good sense of just how much better this defense is. Uh, Joe, moving to, to some of the other games around college football, though, what are you most looking forward to this weekend, and, and how are you going to spend your Saturday since uh, we don't have a game to go to until Sunday night? Oh my goodness, it's going to be great. Um, looking at Saturday's schedule, I think Auburn Oregon is the is going to be the game to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, I like to keep tabs on all the other Big Twelve games. I'm super excited for the Oklahoma State game Friday. So um, I, thought, I thought you were going to say Toledo Kentucky. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> You know, I I have the Cats in a very narrow thirty to twenty four win over Toledo. I did a did a lot of research for that game. Yeah, you you picked that game uh, closer than anybody. So, uh, you know what? I was kind of surprised. I, I picked South Florida to beat Wisconsin. They're thirteen and a half point dog. And then I look at our pick sheet, and, and Barry and Jacob Unruh both picked South Florida as well. And I was like, man, that kind of takes the wind out of my sails <laughs> a little bit. I actually like Wisconsin this year. I think they're going to be a better team uh, than they were. Uh, the, the last last season, so I I think that uh, 
Wisconsin's going to win that game. I got 31-14, I think. But really looking forward to uh, OSU and well, OSU and OSU. Oh, yeah, on, I, uh, I put OSU on the pick sheet first, and I was like, okay, that doesn't make <laughs> sense. W- which one? Yeah, which I, orange and black OSU? I I almost uh, typed that as well. <laughs> but really looking forward to Saturday. Uh, I think I'm going to try to find a place to to watch some games. I think uh, hopefully go with some friends. Maybe, uh, Joe, I'm not sure if you're in town. Maybe you could join us if you want to. But we're going to go try to enjoy watching college football for once. It's going to be so weird. That's going to be the – and we get, like, off weeks during the the year, and those are nice. But I don't know about you. I I love watching college football, but sometimes – on off weeks, there's stuff you got to do around the house and things like that. Well, this isn't really an off week because they they play on Sunday, but at the same time, you get to enjoy a Saturday, a full Saturday of college football. So, uh, gonna be fun. I wish that Florida State Boise State game hadn't been moved off yeah. of a Sunday night, but we'll deal with that. You can certainly understand the reasons why uh, that that game had to be moved, but gonna be a, a really fun Saturday of college football and and a fun Sunday for Sooners fans especially. But uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much uh, for joining the Sooners Extra uh, podcast. As always, you can drop us a line. Best way is on Twitter, at R-Y-A-B-E-R is my Twitter handle, or email at R-A-B-E-R, R-A-B-E-R, at Oklahoman.com. Joe? Uh, at Joe underscore Masato on Twitter, and my email is J-M-U-S-S-A-T-T-O at Oklahoman.com. And once again, the Sooners Extra podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's. Cure your cravings, stop in today, or visit Zaxby's.com. You can check out our work every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere.